This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. We begin a new six, maybe seven-week sermon series this morning, and we're calling this a gospel people. And here's how I would describe this whole series. Uh, In a body, you've got a brain, which is going to control the body. It's going to regulate the body. And without the brain, the body can't function. But then in a body, you also have a heart. And the job of the heart is to pump, pump blood through the circulatory or the, the cardiovascular system. And so you've got a body and your brain, including your brain, needs a consistent flow of blood. And what your blood does is it brings fresh nutrients and it clears away harmful elements from your organs and in other parts of your body. And so you need an ever-present flow of blood through the body. As a people, if you just want to continue this analogy a little bit, our brain is the Word of God. It's written in the Bible. It regulates us. It governs us. We willingly and joyfully submit ourselves under the authority of God. And we understand that authority is, is laid out in His Word. So our brain's the Bible. But then, like the body needs more than you can't just have a brain. We as a people have a heart in a, in a, in a circulatory system. And without that which would continually flow through our body, bringing like blood that which gives life and washing away, filtering out that which would actually kill it, our body dies. And so this series, A Gospel People, if we could just continue this analogy one more step, this series is about the circulatory system of the body of our church. What? It's about the things that must flow through us as a people so that we will have spiritual life. So here's a way, another way of laying my aims out for the next few weeks here. The Bible has much to say about what a church is, the origin of it, the nature of it, all those things. And that has to be part of it. We can't talk about our life as a church without understanding the foundation of the church. So we will start and we'll do a little bit about what the church is. That has to be part of it. But my hope in this particular six, seven weeks is to look more at what the Bible says about how the church is to be. So a little bit of what the church is, but the focus is how the church is to be. What must flow through us if we're going to have spiritual life together. And so we're going to start in a few Bible verses that set all this up for us really well. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is this magisterial book. It's got language. It's kind of got a different flair and a different flavor than any other book in the New Testament. But it is also very practical. And so where we are is a transition point. The first 10 chapters are all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. 
how he's God incarnate, died, rose again, so sinners can have free access to God. But now where we begin reading, the writer says that because of the mercy that God has given us, there's a new kind of community that is going to emerge. Because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, there's a new kind, there's a new way that his people will be together. So let's pick it up. Hebrews 10, we're going to look at verse 19. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's on the page, it's on page 1006. If you're in your Bible, it's on probably a different page. Maybe, that would be a crazy coincidence, wouldn't it? Possible. Okay. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that has to do with the Old Testament Jerusalem temple, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're going to concentrate on verses 24 and 25. But before that, I just wanted to read 19 and following. And here's what they say. Here's what 19 through 23 says. You don't have to be afraid of God. You can confidently come to him. If you believe that coming before the Lord is scary, if you believe that you are unworthy, then the next part is for you. Listen, coming before the Lord is scary, and you are unworthy. I'm unworthy. Nobody in the room is worthy. Which is why this doesn't say don't worry about coming before God, just do it. Which is why it doesn't say, you're a pretty good person, so come before God, you'll be fine. Instead, this says that our confidence, our hope, our possibility of nearness to God doesn't rest with us. It doesn't rest with you. It's not based on yourself. It's based on something that is worthy to God, and something that breaks down barriers, curtains between you and God. Our confidence, our hope, our nearness to God happens and is made possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can come before God because he's cleansed sinful hearts. And so it's not a question then of, are you worthy? Are you good enough? I know you're not. The Bible is clear, you're not, I'm not, but Christ is forever, always. And when we believe in him, it's our faith in Jesus that makes us, get this word, enjoyable to God. Not just tolerable, 
God likes it. God loves it. God delights in it now when we come. And so if you believe I am unworthy to come before God, I'd say, yeah, you are. But Jesus isn't. He is worthy. So believe in him and go to God through Christ. He wants you to come. Through Christ, he invites us to come. And all of that, everything I just said, that's true. There's never been truer words spoken. God loves you. And he has made a way for you to be restored. And he's made a way for you to be redeemed. All that's true. But here's what's also true. Life's hard. The pressure of our days in this world can press us down. They can threaten to defeat us. Sometimes it feels like all we can do is just make it through one more day. The alarm goes off and we wake up and our biggest hope in the world is just that we can make it back to bed that night. So how then when life can be difficult, when we can feel defeated, burdened, when we can feel sometimes near the breaking point, sad, defeated, disappointed, how are we supposed to lift up our gaze from that? Where do we find more encouragement? Where do we find more hope? Where do we find the strength to lift our eyes to the throne of God? From where will our help come from to remember to trust God and to lean on his mercy, to remember that, that we can have more than just a sad, disappointed type of life. And this is where we get to verses 24 and 25, because there it says, enter the church. Enter the church. So again, 24 and 25. First, the supremacy of Christ in Hebrews. Then the assurance that, that through him we're, we're welcomed into the depths of God love, God's love and filled with his fullness. What now? What, what keeps us rooted in hope? I want to I read these because we want to focus here just again, verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This is the habit of somebody encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, this is God's exhortation and his instruction for every person in this room who calls themselves a Christian. What we've just read, what I'm about to say, applies to all of us. Anybody who takes the name of Christ. And so here it is. The job of every Christian is to be an encourager. Every Christian is to be an encourager. In other parts of the New Testament, it says that Christians are all given unique gifts. You're given gifts to glorify God and and serve other people. There's a couple of places in the New Testament where the church is compared to a body, a little bit like I just did earlier. And it says that we all have a role to play in the body. Some of us have particular functions. Some of us have other functions. Even though we all contribute to the body, we're all a little bit different. But here, no matter what your gift, 
no matter what part of the body you are, no matter what you're good at or what you enjoy or anything else, no matter how you're called to serve other people, no matter how you're called to serve in the church, every single person is called to be an encourager of other people. Encouragement must flow through the veins of this body. Listen, nothing brings life, health, vitality to a church quite like a culture and a regular stream, a steady flow of encouragement. But the opposite is equally as true. Nothing will kill a church body faster than a bunch of hard, ornery, ungrateful malcontents just going around grumbling about everything together. Encouragement brings life. Complaining brings death. It's as simple as that. The Bible actually says where encouragement is absent, people will suffer. You don't have to turn there. It's it's in the book of Hebrews earlier, but let me just read this for you. Just listen to these words. Take care, brothers, Lest there be any of you an evil, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, another translation would say, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, we're, we're all prone to doubt. Sometimes we're prone to feel like our faith is weak, especially when life gets hard, and it does. But right there in Hebrews 3, it says that God has given us to one another, and through our encouragement of each other, that's how we fight for faith when life is hard. When faith feels weak, when we feel defeated, it is the encouragement of our church body, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that will help us to fight for faith. And so if our church is to be a true church, in a biblical sense, this must be a people among whom encouragement flows freely and plentifully. We have to be really encouraging of each other because life is hard. So how's that done? Hebrews 10 gives us a few answers, and then I'll just bring us to a few other places in the New Testament that also say similar things. So verse 24 again, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So that's the goal, stirring one another up to love and good works, and then we get a warning light. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And so it seems like the writer here is saying, stirring up one another, encouraging one another, to love and good works is incompatible with not meeting together. That's kind of a double negative, incompatible with not. So said, you know, kind of a, a more positive way. If you want to be able to encourage one another, you need to be together. And that's just simply true. The best way that we can encourage each other is if we see each other often. And that's why it's vitally important for Christians who are in churches 
to be together regularly. These two verses right here are why probably I thought about this statement a lot before I knew I was going to make it. Probably the thing that worries me more as a pastor for the people that God has entrusted to my spiritual care is when people stop coming to church. That's the thing that worries me the most. And that has nothing to do with you know, my ego or, or our statistics. It's because the Bible tells us that the way we are anchored to truth and the way we fight for faith is by gathering together with the local church that we're a part of. And so when people stop doing that, I get worried for two reasons. The first is very clearly the word of God says that's unwise. And second, because in all my years of doing this, here, a couple other stops before here, I have never seen a single person, I've never seen one person doing so well in their relationship with God where they've just reached a point that now they no longer need anybody else to be in Christian community with. It's never happened, and it never will. Because the Bible says that we need each other. In fact, the farther in that you go to the Christian life, the more you should need the church. I actually think this is so important. Let me just quickly speak to the few of the, the kind of the common reasons or, or the objections people give for not regularly gathering with their local church. Uh, the first would be, I think, just simply that Christians saying local church membership is optional. So, yeah, it's good, but it's not kind of necessary. Verse 24 begins just by addressing this by implication. So the command is make sure you continue to meet together, and the warning is some people aren't doing that. In order to know, here's the implication, in order to know who is and who isn't at the meeting, you have to know who's supposed to be there. Some people are meeting together. Some people are neglecting to meet together. We know there's a group that there's people coming to the meeting and then there's people not coming to the meeting and we know they're not coming to the meeting because we know who's supposed to be at the meeting. Every once in a while, I hear someone say that there's no New Testament verse that says that you should be a committed member of a local church. There is no verse. I can't point you to just one verse that says, be a member of a church. But the reason is not that it's not important. The reason is that the New Testament assumes that every Christian would not only know that, but see it as so vital that it simply goes unsaid. I never had to teach my children to drink water, but when they're thirsty, they ask for it. If you have people who are serious about a pursuit of a life with Jesus Christ, joining together with other Christians should feel like getting a cool drink on a warm day. Two weeks ago, my family, three weeks ago, we were on vacation. Went to the beach. I got sunburned super bad. Spent the whole time with my shirt on at the beach. It was embarrassing, and I was that guy. Long story. And then we came back. 
We were gone a Sunday. We were on vacation a Sunday. We got back on a Saturday. I could have come, but I thought, you know what? I am so rarely gone two Sundays in a row. I think I'm just going to take this day. We're going to take this day as a family, and we're going to have a slower rhythm. And I'm, I'm glad I did it. But here's what we did. We're at home. We live like three blocks from here. We turned on the, the live stream. We watched the service. Sang with the songs. Brother John Fulweiler preached the Bible. And Holly and I got to talking and we said, you know, it is good to be away. And you can, you can imagine there's a pressure on me. There's a pressure on my family. It's good to have some Sundays just to, to kind of decompress. But we missed being with this place because this isn't just my job. This isn't just how I make money for my family. My family loves this group of people. I kind of had a crummy week for a lot of reasons. The last couple of days have been hard. I just felt better walking in the door this morning. I saw some people. We said, hey, we hugged a little bit. It's great to be part of a good church. I felt better just coming in the door this morning after kind of a rough week. You don't have to teach me or command me to want to be here. I just like it. And I hope it's the same for you too. And if it's not, tell me. We'll work on it. For us, it should be like a cold drink of water on a hot day. Second misunderstanding. Biblical teaching on church membership that I hear is occasionally is that, that Christians don't need to belong to churches as long as they just kind of have a group of, of Christian friends. Maybe they're part of a community Bible study together, or maybe they just got a friend group. Maybe they, they, they serve with like a ministry or they kind of have a community service team or something like that, and that's kind of their, their Christian interaction. Listen, I get it. Churches come in all shapes and sizes. They can be thousands They can just be a few, they can be a few dozen, they can be a few hundred, like we are. I'm good with that. But according to the New Testament, just getting together with a few Christian friends is not enough for for a biblical meeting of a church. You need at least three things to have a church in the New Testament. Number one, you need a proclamation of the word of God. And that proclamation needs to come from the second thing that you need. You need biblically qualified elders. You need somebody who is spiritually called by God to lead out and to oversee and to care for, to shepherd that flock. Christ is the chief shepherd and the church is led by and is cared for by under shepherds of Christ. Not the bosses. Christ is the boss but by under-shepherds of Christ. So you need the proclaimed word of God, you need biblically qualified elders, and then you need the ordinances of baptism and communion because they're what nourishes the believer. You need new believers being baptized, proclaiming faith in Christ, and you need the church regularly gathering together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to take that together as a reminder that Christ has died, risen, and coming again. You don't need a building. You don't need a website. You don't need a pulpit, you don't need a piano or a guitar, but you've got to have a Bible, you've got to have some qualified spiritual leaders, and then you need to practice things that nourish your faith together. You've got to have those things. And I just often 
submit to you that a group of friends getting together is just not getting it done for what God hopes for you in your spiritual life. One more. I could do lots of these, but I'm just going to do a third. Here's what I hear. People kind of going to church saying, it's just mostly a worship service, so I can get that online. I can kind of piece it together from here and there. Now, the pandemic has made this really hard. There were much clearer lines before March of 2020, but, but even this has only exacerbated what was already a growing problem. The totality. I hope you know this if you're part of this church. The totality, and I would even say the majority, of what the local church brings into your life, if things are done right, is not what happens during the worship service. And so if you're just thinking, I need to get some church, I'm going to go online, jam along to some good music, I'm going to hop over here because I like the preacher at this place better, you are missing out on the most important aspects of daily life in the church. And that is not to disparage or downplay the importance of anything that we do in here. This is very, very important. And I'll say it like this. So if you've got 168 hours in a week, which every single one of us does, this is the most important hour. In the life of our church, this is the most important hour But we have 167 other hours where other important stuff happens also. So if you're thinking my commitment to church is is I kind of walk in often one minute late and I kind of bolt for the exit just as soon as I can because I don't want anybody to talk to me. You're missing out on so much of the beauty and the grace and the provision and the gift from God of what this place is. And listen, I'm not against watching preaching. I watch preaching. I, I, I do podcasts. I'm not against podcasts. I'm not against radio. I'm not against whatever you're doing. I, those things are good. But make sure they are supplemental or secondary to what we're doing in here and what we are together. Church is not preaching. You can get a lot of good preaching. It's not church. The biblical word for church means assembly. You have to get together to do church. To have a church, you have to be together. Um, now, I also want to handle this part of it just because of where we're at in the world right now. I want you to hear me really well, and I'll just ask for a couple of things before I get into this next part. The first is, give me your grace, please, um, because I, I won't say these things perfectly. And then, and then second, I, I hope that you would hear my heart because I, I would say them out of love. So over the past 15 or 16 months, together, when it comes to worshiping corporately, we've had everything from online services only, we had drive-in things, outdoors, indoors, mass, no mass, closed pews, open pews. Things have just been markedly different than they've ever been before. And I understand that within that there's a range of expectations and responses We've all processed these months differently, and and that's okay. But I say all of this because when I read that we shouldn't neglect meeting together, this has been an incredibly challenging 15 months to apply that command in Scripture to, right? How do we not neglect meeting together in the midst of unprecedented global circumstances, at least in our lifetime? And so here's how I would say this. 
if you haven't been here much, and it's because from a health and safety standpoint, that is the wisest decision for you, then I do believe that God understands that and God's sovereign over that and God will bless that. I support that. Our elders support that. We want to do whatever we can to serve you during this time. And so if it's because truly of health and safety, then that's the right decision for you. But on the other hand, if you have neglected to be with the church and it's not because of safety, but it's because of convenience or preference or ideology or politics or honestly at this point just straight up laziness, then you need to repent You need to return to regular worship. And here's the thing. Only you can know what these reasons have been. The other thing that's weird about about coming to verses that make sure people are reminded to be together is only people right now who have not neglected to be together are hearing them. You've all not neglected that. I get that. I get the irony in that. But there are still things, there's application here for us too. For one thing, it's to be warned that we too need to guard against this laziness or we too need to guard against this bitterness or this carelessness that would draw us away from one another. Don't think that this can't happen to you. Don't just think, well, I'm a church attender. I don't know what's going to happen. So be careful. And, And the second thing is that many of us probably know, in fact, I guarantee some of us know brothers and sisters in Christ who have stopped meeting with the church during the last 15, 16 months. And maybe part of the way we encourage them is admonishing them to return. It isn't loving toward our brothers and sisters in Christ if we see them in dangerous water sliding away and we don't have the courage to warn them. So I guess that would be the first kind of encouragement to give. Encouragement, admonition, whatever you would call it, to not forsake meeting together with the church. So as you seek to be an encourager, let me just give you a few more ways specifically the New Testament would have us model encouragement. The first is meet together. Just be sure to get together. Here's the thing. One one more thing on this. If you have a weekly anchor point, it will help you when you're struggling, if you are a train wreck, a dumpster fire, six days a week, but you're coming in here on a seventh, that's going to anchor you in a way that you will find really helpful. So again, the first encouragement is be here. Be with the body. Second, the New Testament says, encourage each other with the truth. This is a longer read, but I wanted to do all these verses. Just four, but I wanted to do all these. Colossians 2, starting at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have, this is the Apostle Paul writing, for you and for those at Laodicea. It's a place uh, in it's northern, sort of northern, by, it's by Greece and Turkey now. Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the, of the assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you 
with plausible arguments. Encourage each other with the truth. This is the flavor of Hebrews 3 that we read earlier. On our own, it's easy to drift from truth. But together, we will have others to see our drift and call us back from it. We will have others to sort of check us. We will have others who will lovingly and gently put their arm around us and ask us a well-timed and pointed question. Another thing is there is a humility present when you trust others to guard and teach you. And it's a very helpful practice to remain humble. I get really worried about Christians who do all of their learning by themselves. There's an arrogance in believing that nobody has anything that they can teach you. If you're just kind of looking around and going, all these people are beneath me, I've got nothing to learn from them. That's dangerous, folks. Careful. Be very careful. So encourage each other with the truth. Number three, encourage each other through the pain. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Life will be difficult. You'll go through loss. You will. I want to tell you My encouragement for you is when life is difficult, when you go through loss, and when there's pain and suffering. Christ is enough for you. He is. But I also know, and I've been doing this long enough to know, that when the pain is sharpest, you may have a hard time remembering that. You may have a hard time remembering that God is good and merciful when pain is intense. In those moments, lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ to remind you of that. Among the most precious ministries of the church is members looking out for others who are struggling and finding ways to support them. It doesn't even have to be much. Just recall a time in your own life when you were struggling. During those times, I'm willing to put money on it, that the simple reassurance that you were loved, somebody reached out to just just say, "I, I care about you, for Christians to pray for each other, I bet that was huge. And if it wasn't happening, just put yourself back in that place for a second and imagine what difference it would have made if it did. Just to have people say, I I just, I love you. I just, all I want you to know is I love you. So does the Lord. This is among the the many reasons why being together consistently is so important. We grow in relationships when we're together. And that happens so that when difficult things come, we're known to each other. We're knit together. I think it falls under encouragement and admonishment with the truth to share with you. I I just need to share with you the differences that I see when people in this body who are are connected to this body are going through difficult hardship. There's such a strong difference when they're committed to regularly fellowshipping with Christians here in the church and then people who are just kind of floating and drifting around the periphery. 
Listen, we want to love everybody. And when people are in the midst of struggle, we're always going to do what we can to help you. But if you're part of a group, if you're part of a ministry team, if you're here on a regular basis, if you've got friendships that you've put real time into cultivating here, it's going to make it much easier to support you during dark times. If you're not here often, if you haven't taken the time to get to know many people, it just frankly makes it way harder. It's way harder to help. And so invest. Invest your time, invest your energy, invest in these people. I promise it's a good group of people. It's a safe group of people. Do that. So again, a third thing would be encouraging each other in pain. Finally, encouraging each other. This is fourth to the end. Sometimes life seems long, but in reality, life is really, really short. Ask just anybody that would be kind of considered on the second half of their life, and they'll just go, I don't even know where the first half went. Ask people who are closer to the end, and let's go, no, they'll, they'll just say, I don't know where any of it is gone. So the day here, verse 25, do it all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. The day here is the, the day of Christ's return, what we call his second coming. For Christians, our lives should be lived as though that could be any day. Because it could. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be the day after that. And so there's an element of encouraging one another with lifelong endurance here. As long as it's today, let's just keep on doing this. But there's an equally important element of reminding each other that any one of these days, the Lord might come again. So live your life in every single moment in a way that matters. I brought a card with me. It's a card that sits on my desk now. I got it just a while ago. Uh, one of my predecessors as the senior pastor here at Our Savior had a number of sayings, and Pastor Bill passed away earlier this year. And Deanne, who's sitting right over here, sent me a little note thanking me for um, just the small part I played in, in the, the funeral for Pastor Bill. But then she sent me these cards. And on these cards are a number of sayings. If you knew Bill, some of you did, I know some of you didn't, he had a number of sayings. And I, I set them at different places in my office, but I, I set this one in the most prominent place. Probably, I think this is the one I hear people quoting most often, but I wanted it to be something that I saw all the time in my office, so it just sits right in front of where I work. And what it says is, finish strong, finish well, no regrets. Finished strong, finished well, no regrets. That is, I think, to me, the epitome of a simple way to encourage one another all the way to the end. As long as it's called today. The day, it might be today, it might be tomorrow, or it might, you might live the rest of your life. You might live dozens of years more. Finish strong, finish well, no regrets. Whenever we finish, let's live our lives that way. And so folks, it takes work. There's not a person in here who couldn't be doing something else with the time. A lot of us had a week, and we're coming in from that. 
But let us not neglect to meet together. Let us encourage one another. And let us have a heart together of encouragement that pumps a plentiful, overflowing joy and of encouraging each other through this church. It will give us life. Like blood, encouragement brings fresh oxygen, nutrients, other things. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what blood brings, but it's good. You want it to keep going. It pumps blood. And then encouragement also has a way of filtering out the junk, filtering out the byproducts, filtering out the things that we just don't need. So let's be a church has a heart that pumps with encouragement. Encourage somebody else today. Every time you come in here, get out of your car and pray this prayer. God, give me somebody to encourage today. And good news, he's going to answer the prayer immediately because there'll be somebody in here. There's always somebody in here. And so let's be a church that encourages each other. Do that today. Do that right now. Let's pray. We'll finish our time and we'll fellowship in the Lord and we'll encourage each other. God, I thank you for this group of people, precious, holy, set apart a royal priesthood, a nation called for your purpose. I thank you for this local church and the people that gather together. I pray that whenever we finish, would we do it, would we finish strong, we finish well, and we have no regrets. And Lord, in your mercy, would you make us a people that so encourages one another that everybody feels the love of Christ and we fight for faith in him together through the meeting together and the building up of the body of Christ. Love these people. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.